from the stinging studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another insect-infused episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks, You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Ground-nesting insects that look like bees in the spring are non-stinging native bees. Ground-nesting insects that look like bees in the late summer, early fall could be yellow jackets, deadly aggressive hornets. On today's show, we'll help you understand what you have and how to deal with potential danger in the ground. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy perusing thrift shops for an old Electrolux. So we will take that heap and helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and tantalizingly teutonic tribulations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you standing your ground with a can of Pam right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and later on in the show, we're going to get to a very important question of the week. If you have ground-nesting insects that look like bees, are you safe? Are they just gentle pollinators, or are they dangerous yellow jackets? We'll tell you how to tell the difference and tell you what to do if they are yellow jackets. Mostly, though, it's time for your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Andy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I am doing well, Andy. How are you, sir? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, really good. And where is Andy very well? Uh, Andy's very well in Oxfordshire, UK. Oh, very good. On the other side of the pond. Well, thank you. Oh, yeah. uh, thank you for calling. Um, <laughs> what, what, can we, what can we do for you? Okay, well, hopefully you'll be able to help me because I've not had much luck here in the UK finding this information out. Um, I've planted a native hedgerow in my garden, mm-hmm. and um, I'm just wondering what I need to do with it now. It's been in for a couple of years. I sort of how do I maintain it and thicken it up? That kind of information would be fantastic. Well, have you uh, have you been pruning it? Uh, not at all. No, I've left it completely so far. So I don't, I'm too scared to touch it. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, but Andy, you originally got in touch with us. I recognize you. Now, um, you responded to our toxic, uh, toxic squash uh, phone calls. I did. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, first tell me your toxic squash story. Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not, you know, enthralling. But um, so I just, I've, I've had an allotment since I was about 21. I'm sort of 33 now, but I've never come across it. Now, an um, allotment is the British version oh, of a community garden. Okay. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, just trying to edu- um, educate my audience. Oh, okay, right. Okay, and I'll say zucchini instead of courgette, right? Yeah. Now you got to, um, uh, Andy. You got to take that. You got to do that slow. The crazy, oh, okay. Sorry. The crazy word you guys use for squash. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> um, okay, so I. How do you I, pronounce I it? This, um, courgette. That sounds like a car. Yeah, like a, yeah, Corvette, a Corvette Stingray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, um, so what happened? Yeah. 
so the, so um, I went up there. I picked my 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 courgette. Um, we cut it up and made it into like a roast veg kind of tea. Mm-hmm. And um, it took one bite and it ruined the rest of the everything else in the in the meal as well. It was so bitter. Um, but interestingly, after your talk with with um, the guy from the Smithsonian, that squash plant, well, that sorry, that courgette plant. Has died off about a week later, so it was obviously was under stress, and right. that sort of matches up a bit with what you were saying. Yes, because uh, one of the things I gleaned from him is, and I, I think I knew this years and years ago, um, mm. especially with cucumbers, they all mm. have the remnant of the bitter gene, and mm. people in extreme kind of climates really need to look for a cucumber especially that's been bred to be non-bitter. Now, I don't think I've ever seen that designation with squash, but apparently that, that gene is lurking in the background and it can be expressed. And luckily you were smart enough not to eat that, um, <laughs> that meal, right? To be honest with you, you, you couldn't. I mean, you, I mean your, your other caller that got ill, I mean, she really must have fought through it because <laughs> it was horrific. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think she made pancakes out of them, like scallion pancakes, uh, okay. so there was probably other flavors in there. But um, sure. you may even know about the two women in France, the medical report, um, yeah, that they pushed through it, too, and their hair fell out. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I, mean, I mean, as you're saying, bitter is something that, that you need to look for. I mean, I sort of do some mushroom foraging. Um, I've done one, one with an expert before, and one of the main things is if you nibble on something that's bitter... You know, Spit it that's out. A, a bad sign. Yeah. 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 There's an there's an expression we use over here in the states. There are old mushroom hunters, and there are bold <laughs> mushroom hunters. Yeah. But there are yeah, no old bold yeah. mushroom hunters. <laughs> oh dear. Excellent. All right. So let's go back to your hedgerow now. Right. Yeah. What what so what, what exactly did you plant? Do you remember? Yep. So there's field maple. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, hawthorn, mm-hmm. blackthorn, and uh, dog rose. Huh. And, and I think that's it. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, and hazel as well. That's a real mixed, uh, mixed up hedgerow mm. there. So, and you're doing this uh, for wildlife or to break the wind on your garden? Um, it, it's more for wildlife. So, in the UK, but this is quite a sort of common hedgerow sort of mix. Right. Um, and it was actually something that came from something called the Enclosure Act. Um, which I don't know if you've heard of. Um, it was an act created, I think, in the 18th century, where landowners decided to, to actually mark out their land, um, which was a terrible act, because before that, people were allowed to freely move around the UK. You still can in Scotland. Right. Um, but actually, it's one good thing to come out of that act was these sort of miles and miles of hedgerows. But unfortunately, development, these hedgerows are getting destroyed and they're quite important for, for, for wildlife, uh, hedgehogs, bats, birds. So I'm sort of trying to just create a little something in my garden for, for wildlife, really. That's the reason. And how many years old is it? Uh, three years old. Well, uh, I wouldn't expect too much. Some of the plants you mentioned, like hawthorn, they're pretty slow growers. Um, mm. are, you, are you feeding it anything? No, no, nothing. I've, I've just put it in and let it let it do its thing. Right. Do you have access to what you would call compost? Yes, we got compost. <laughs> yes, we got compost. Yep. 
Yeah, well, that's all I would do. I would feed it some uh, some compost at uh, yep. at the base of the plants. Uh, that's sure. pretty, you know, that's that's not far from an imitation of nature. There is always sure. going to be dried leaves blowing in there, and as you say, a lot of animal droppings. Once those things get um, to a good size, there's a lot of life living in them. Um, and sure. you know, bat guano, that's the that's the best, and anything we can do. To help bats. So that's all I would do is practice some patience and put two inches of compost around the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. All right? Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, I'd love to see, uh, as your hedgerow gets, uh, gets bigger, I would love to see some images of it. We'd be happy to put those up on the show. And um, again, thank us because this has been a hot topic. Uh, on this show since since we got that first phone call. Um, yeah. I don't know yeah. that I had really known about the toxic squash syndrome, but every show that we mention it now, somebody else is going to learn about it, and they're going to be saved from a, a terrible night in the bathroom. <laughs> Could I just a supplementary question to the hedge, sorry. Go ahead. Um, when do you think I should cut that, start cutting it to thicken it up? Um... Basically, because of the plants you have in there, I would prune them in the spring when okay. new growth appears. But rather than go, if you, um, you know, in Europe, you, you probably know this is well known. In Americans try to prune to keep plants small. Europeans mm-hmm. traditionally prune to make plants larger. Yeah. So what you want to do is just with hand pruners and just take off four to six inches from every little branch and, and cutting until you get totally bored and then come out and do the rest of the row. But the less okay, you, ta- the yeah, less you take off, the more it will stimulate that lush, full growth. And again, you can do the same thing down low. Just take okay. off two inches of a branch that's moving into the center where you want, and that'll stimulate mm-hmm. the growth of that branch. Perfect. Marvelous. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again, sir. No worries. Thank you. Cheers, Mike. Well, the weather's cooling down, but gardening is heating up. There's lots to plant and harvest. And we'll tell you how to get it all done correctly and organically. Just give us a call at 833-727-9588. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Irene, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. 
Hi. Hi, Mike. Hello, Irene. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank and you. where is Irene great? I'm from um, Truxertown, um, Pennsylvania. Very good. Not that far from Allentine. Allentine, Allentown, <laughs> and the site of the great velodrome, the bicycle racing course that Bob Rodale built in the 1980s, I believe it was. All right, what can we do for Irene in Trexler Town? Um, I have some um, big fig trees in pots mm -hmm. that I moved them in the winter to the garage and moved them out in the spring, but they got too big, and I would like to plant some outside, and Very I'd good. like to know what should I do to protect them uh, so I would they still be alive in the spring? Oh, very good questions. Now, when you've been moving them in and out, do you get figs in the summer? Do you get a harvest? Yes, I do. I get lots of figs. Okay. So basically what you want to do is wait till the figs go dormant and take them outside and plant them in a protected location, like with a wall behind them or in a corner. You want to oh. you want to plant them high and not uh -huh. in a low spot on your property because cold okay. cold air goes down and nestles in those uh, in those low spots. So you want you want to plant it high and you want to plant it uh, in a protected corner if you can. And then you have a lot of options. The one I always tell people to do is go to a garden center, get some stakes and get some burlap and. Uh -huh knock the stakes into the ground about a foot out from the edge of the fig leaves and okay. then wrap the uh, burlap around the stakes, not around the plant itself. Okay. Because the burlap will get wet and heavy and freeze. All you want to do is break the wind. Um, you know, figs sometimes get through the winter just fine without protection. In your case, uh, because of where you live, I think they need a little protection. But don't worry about that. Do the best you can. Um, some other people will make a big cylinder out of wire uh -huh. and fill that up with shredded leaves. Okay. Um, that, that kind of incites mice and rabbits to get down there at the bottom and eat away the bark hidden. So I worry about that. But I wouldn't, you know, I would say first year try the, um, try the burlap. Because okay. no, no matter what happens, the plant itself will not die. I see. And okay. you should wait um, until it gets really cold to put this protection up. And I then see. take it down as soon as things start to green up in the spring. The, fig, okay. the figs really only need to be protected over the worst of winter. I see. When you take the protection off, give the fig tree a good look. There'll be dead parts. There'll be parts that were killed by winter. So just get out and prune those off right away, anything that okay. doesn't look good. And then um, you should have plenty of time to get at least one crop of figs from the stuff that didn't freeze. Okay. All right? Great. That sounds great. I'll try it. Um, can I ask you a second question? Go ahead, real quick. On the passion fruit? Sure. I have a hard time getting fruit. I even hand pollinated with a Q-tip. Mm-hmm. And for every 20 fruit, I'm lucky if I get one. Well, you know, passion fruit is not exactly uh, easy to grow. Is this indoors or out? This is outdoors. Outdoors, and it stays out all the time. Um, and when the winter comes, I think I'll trim it and bring it in. Um, I would not trim it unless you really have to. But, yeah, it might be a good idea to bring it in and let it, uh, 
let it get a good start. But if you get good flowers, um, you should get good pollination. Now, I'm not that familiar with passion fruit. Is this a, a situation where you might have to have two plants? Um, I do have two plants. I ordered from Burpee. They're mm-hmm. the purple flower ones right. right next to each other in a big pot. Right. I have lots of flowers. I have two working bees on my payroll, and they <laughs> gave me the two fruits. Okay, good, good, good. Um, I don't like the idea of the two plants in the pot. Um, and to get good pollination, you should have two different varieties. So oh, if, you okay. re- if you really like passion fruit, why don't you order another one? But I it, have to find some place. Yeah, I'll try. Yeah. I'll try. And if, again, if the plants are that big, yes, you, you can trim them back to bring them into the garage. That's great. Okay? Okay. Thank you. Good luck, Irene. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bye-bye. Mike. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there who has a cool season lawn that this is the perfect time for you to give it a core aeration to relieve soil compaction, the unseen cause of weeds, poor drainage, and a struggling turf. But don't go fricasseeing your fescue just yet because we'll be right back to tell you all the different animals, insects, and stuff that could be nesting in your soil and whether you should worry about them or not and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural, organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute, hosting a Fall on the Farm event on Saturday and Sunday, September 21st and 22nd. Visitors can enjoy organic apple and pumpkin picking, wagon tours, food vendors, live music, and more. Details at RodaleInstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, do you have things that look like bees or other insects coming in and out of a hole in the ground? We'll help you identify whether they're beneficial or bad and what to do with the bad ones. But mostly it's a phone call show between now and then, cats and kittens, and that means we're taking that heap and helping. Jim, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very much. Appreciate to be on uh, you taking the time to listen to me. All right. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to call, Jim. Where are you? In Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, one of my favorite places. Um, so what's going on? Well, I have a problem with the dogwood trees, and I ought to start it by saying I'm on my fifth dogwood tree. The previous four have died, mm-hmm. and... The fifth one was doing very well until about a month ago, and now it started to uh, not look so good. Okay. Um, and uh, there are two problems with it. The, the first one is it looks like something is eating the leaves, mm-hmm. and, off, and that happened about a month ago, started. And I um, went out and looked at the leaves and uh, sprayed it with uh, you know, uh, insecticide, but I can't see any bugs. Mm-hmm. I can't see anything that would be causing the leaves to be eaten, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, they're fairly heavily eaten. And okay. then the second problem is 
the leaves, a lot of the leaves have started to turn brown at the tips and curl up. Okay, that's not and good. And I went and uh, I've gotten several conflicting pieces of advice, and I was hoping you could help. Okay, uh, just curiously, what are your what what have you been advised? Well, uh, one group said, uh, uh, and this is actually on tree four, that it was a fungus. And the next group <laughs> said it's definitely not a fungus, and uh, and I, I you know so at that point I, I I sort of went to the internet and got it got conflicting. One group said it was being overwatered, and then the other other uh, internet site said uh, it wasn't uh, it was uh, it was bugs attacking it and uh, et cetera et cetera. Okay. And I don't know if it means anything, but the trunk has a lot of little white dots on it, little bumps, like about the size of a pinhead. So I just like to know what to do because <laughs> I'd like not to lose the fifth tree. Yeah, I hear you. Um, well, first, before I forget, I want you to take a look at images of the ambrosia beetle online. Right. Um, okay. Generally, most insects, you know, leave holes in the trunk of a tree. But the ambrosia beetle kind of creates these little uh, things that poke out of the mm -hmm. trunk. And it may or may not be that, but just take a look at it just, uh, just for fun. Now, okay. I, I love this fungus thing. Every, everybody who has a problem sooner or later uses the word fungus. You know, I backed my car up over, uh, <laughs> over a brick highway, and now the, the bumper is hanging off. Do you think that's a fungus? You know, it's, it's, you know, when all else fails, yell fungus. Uh, now, okay, so a couple of rules with dogwoods. Dogwoods are native trees, but they're drama queens. They want morning sun and afternoon shade, especially in an area like yours where that sun can be pretty intense in the afternoon. So are your late dogwoods and your current dogwood, were they getting that kind of a sun exposure? No, they are actually. It's it's uh it gets good morning sun about four hours, and then uh, it probably gets about four or five in the afternoon. But it's planted between two big maples, so it it gets uh, a fair amount of shade, mm -hmm. uh, which is I think is what it, it likes to be under another tree. Yes, they are uh, what we call understory plants in the wild. Right. All right. Uh, so they're planted between two maples. Um, are they growing near a lawn that's treated? Uh, no. Okay. No, it is obviously in a lawn, but uh, it's not, it hasn't been uh, fertilized or treated in four or five months. Good, good, good. Now, one thing I know about, well, I know a lot of stuff about your area. Uh, you have an incredibly high water table. There are no basements in, right. uh, in Virginia Beach. So how about the spot that it's in? Uh, does it get decent drainage? Yes, it does. And, and I, the last when I bought the last one, they said planted a little higher, so it's about two inches higher than uh, I normally would have done it. So it's, a, it's a several inches abo above uh, grade, and it, it does get fairly well drained. Good, good, good. And by that, you mean that you can see the root flare of the tree? Yes. Above yes. ground. Great, yeah, because most people do plant uh, too shallow or too deep. Um, so you did the right thing. You got good advice there. Did you improve the soil in the planting hole? Yes, I put... Uh, uh, perlite. They were very strong recommending perlite, and then I also put uh, and compost. They recommended compost, and then they recommended I hit it 
and he used the word hit it, uh, every week for three weeks with some kind of uh, root stimulant. Right. So I did that for the first three weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I think I may have put a quarter, or I'm sorry, a cup of uh, fertilizer, uh, acid-loving fertilizer in with the soil, too. Okay. Um, okay, so the rule for planting new trees and shrubs is, uh, was it bald and burlapped? No, it was in a, in a plastic pot. Okay. Uh, the rule is, first of all, if it is bald and burlapped, to get rid of all the wrappings and discard them and then to force the tree to grow in your own native soil. So uh, you sound like you're a determined man. If, <laughs> if, if this one doesn't work out and you want to go for the lucky number seven or something, uh, you would plant high again, but you would fill right. the hole back up with the soil you removed and then just spread compost over the top of the tree. No, uh, okay. over the top of the, the soil where the tree is planted. No bogus root stimulant, no fertilizer. Uh, these, these trees do not need it, and it makes them more attractive to insect pests. Now, are your, uh, the leaves that have been eaten, are they lacy looking, or are there big holes in them? Big holes, and in fact, some of them are just down to the, to the bare stem and, the, and the, the main vein in the leaves. Uh, but that, that's, that's, those, those veins re- remain? Yes. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do two things. Um, tonight or the next night you can get it together one is you're going to wait until sunset you're going to crack a cheap beer and you're going to fill little containers like just half pint size like from the deli or the height of a cat food can something like that you're going to place them all around the tree if they're filled if they're filled with dead drunken slugs in the morning then you know slugs are crawling up into the canopy and eating the leaves the other thing you're going to do is get a single Japanese beetle trap and put it out, again, at dusk. There is a member of the scarab family. Japanese beetles are member of this, uh, uh, one member of this uh, family of plant eaters that includes rose chafer beetles, uh, June beetles, and more, to your point, Asiatic beetles. They're Japanese beetles that fly at night. So a lot of times people don't see them. So I would set up a trap, a regular Japanese beetle trap. The lure will be the same. And if that has beetles in it the next morning, then you know that that's what you're fighting. Once you know the enemy, then it's pretty much easier to figure out exactly what to do. Okay, that sounds good. I can do all of that. Yeah. Uh, if it is slugs, you go out and you buy Sluggo or Escargo. That's the organic slug control. It's just made out of iron phosphate. And there's a brand new, if it is, uh, quote, Japanese beetle relatives, there's a brand new form of BT um, that only affects scarab beetles. So they'd work on the Asiatic beetle. You'd really soak the tree down um, with that once a week, and that would stop them. They're almost done feeding anyway. Um, the, the burnt tips, I, I, I think it probably is getting a little too much afternoon sun but there's probably not a lot you can do about that. Um, If you do plant, like I said, a seventh sun, um, try to find a spot that gets really good sun in the morning and really full shade in the afternoon. Okay. How often should I water it? I've been watering it twice a week with a soaker hose. Haven't you been getting heavy rains? Well, I've been getting heavy rains too, but I... 
when I saw the lips turning or the leaves turning brown, I said, gee, maybe I need to water it more. One of the meanest things in the plant world, man, is the symptoms of overwatering are exactly the same symptoms as you'd expect from uh, a tree that was underwatered. Okay. So put a, go out and buy a simple rain gauge. Any week you get an inch of water, don't add any. Again, especially with your high water table in, in your area, plants have a lot more trouble drying out than they do getting wet. Right, right. Okay, man? Okay, yes. Well, I appreciate all the help and all the information, and I'll give her a shot. All right, good luck to you, sir. Thank you. You have a nice day. You too. All right. That number to call, 833-727-9588. Samuel, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Can I call you Sam? You can. Everybody else does. Why not you? Okay. And where are you, Sam? I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, we love being on the air down there and in Memphis. It's just so great. What can we do you for? Nashville. Nashville, not Memphis. Well, no, but we're on both places. Oh, okay. Okay. So we got got Music Cities covered, you know. (laughs) Excellent. All right. What can we do for you, man? Um, I've got some summer squash that just, it turned out horrible. It was my first time growing them. I was trying to be, uh, organic. Um, the squash would come out, um, nice and long and yellow, and then brown would appear at the bottom. And in less than two to three days, the brown would go all the way up, uh, and the squash would shrivel up and fall off. And the leaves have done the same. Oh, that's um, not. Now, have you gotten a, a, a ton of rain? Some parts of the country have just been deluged. Yeah, we have often on have gotten rain and then dry and then rain. It's crazy. I find myself watering them one week and then trying to figure out how to keep them from being soaked. The yeah. Next. Are you growing in raised bed or flat earth? Uh, actually, a container. Oh, it's in a container. What's the container made yeah. of? Uh, it's like a burlap bag. It's a large burlap um, container that they sell at Home Depot. Um, maybe eight gallons. Right. It's a, a a grow bag, whether that's the yeah. exact trade name or not. Okay, that's interesting. Um, are do you have other plants in grow bags? I do. I have um, peppers and tomatoes and. Um, some snap beans. Um, some did good and some not so good. Well, the thought maybe I had a pest issue. I don't know. Well, and I, I should have asked this first, too. What did you fill the bags with? Um, a, 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 a garden soil or a potting soil mix. Okay. That you bought in bags? Yes. Okay. And what did you feed the plants? Um, I fed them um, liquid plant bloom by Fox Farm, Farm, Big Bloom Concentrate. Oh, okay. Fox uh, Farm has some nice products. I don't think they're all organic, but I've seen some uh, nice natural ones from them. Um, this, uh, the, the One of the problems with the grow bags is they're like peat moss or core. They leach their water in, into the air. Uh, in dry times, they're really hard uh, to keep watered. Um, I would expect, however, that they would drain well during uh, during wet times. What you described to me uh, simply seems to be rot. When you uh, have you taken the plants out of the bags yet? 
I'm I, I'm headed there. Yes, that's my next move there. I'm about to I'm, throw them away, basically snatch them up and throw them away. Yeah, I'm I'm suspecting that you're going to find the roots are rotten. Okay. Okay. Um, now, one thing I want to say about squash is, you know, summer squash like zucchini and crookneck squash. Uh, as soon as that appears, you can eat it. The smaller, oh, oh yeah, you can, you can, um, you know, the size of your, say twice the size of your thumb is when they're going to taste the best, have the most sugars, um, and you can eat the flowers. So, yeah. So, and uh, especially early in the season, if you're getting good fruits, pick them young. You're going to love the flavor, and that'll help the plant keep producing um you know more flowers and more fruits um okay you know it's a sin if it was a month ago i'd say you you could just plant some seeds and and get a late run um but next year uh try you know since this was this is your big complaint uh try some in a big plastic pot as well and see if that makes any kind of a difference okay but i would definitely um you know summer squash uh, zucchini, stuff like that, that is always the best when picked small. Same with string beans, you know. It's an old line in gardening with these plants. If you can see it, it's it's ready to eat. Okay. We were actually doing that with the string beans. Yeah, that's always, uh, they're so much nicer when they're small. Okay. So, and right, not a, not a pest issue. Nah, uh, no, not a pest issue at all. No, that sounds like drainage. It sounds like... Uh, the plant was rotting. Um, okay. Um, you know, I, I mean, you didn't see uh, squash no. vine borer damage, did you? Do you know what they are? No, no, I don't. What is that? Uh, that's uh, a day flying moth lays eggs at the base of squash plants, and when the eggs hatch, little caterpillars eat their way into the into the plant, and you sometimes you don't see the hole. But what you do see is the plant will wither up and die. Not so much turn black, but it'll look like it needs water. And then if you take a hold of the plant, it's not even rooted anymore. The caterpillar has eaten all the roots. So if you, when you're doing this, if you see damage at the soil line, then that's what happened. You got a squash vine borer that went into there. Next season, if that did happen this year, next season, wrap aluminum foil or medical gauze around the part of the plant that goes underground and like a few inches above ground, and that's just a physical barrier. The the eggs can't eat their way into the stem. Okay. Okay, I'll keep that in mind as well. Thanks, Mike. All right. Good luck, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there that there is no such thing as a green pepper. All peppers, sweet or hot, will ripen to a beautiful final color of red, yellow, orange, or chocolate, but not purple. Purple peppers start out green, turn purple, and then ripen to red. But don't you go procrastinating about picking purple peppers just yet, because we'll be right back to take a look at digger bees, digger wasps, and the notorious yellow jacket. I'm Notorious Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up in just a little bit, digger bees, digger wasps, or yellow jackets. What is that flying over your lawn? They're important distinctions, and we'll tell you what to do if you have the deadly yellow jacket. In the meantime, though, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 1. 833-727-9588. Anne-Marie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Why, thank you. So glad to hear your voice today. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to hear yours. Where are you? I am located on the other side of the Walt Whitman Bridge in Audubon, New Jersey. There you go. A bird lover's dream, Audubon, right? Yep, yep, yep. Except for this bird lover likes to drop some seeds in my yard, creating a mess. Oh, okay. So tell us what's going on. Well, apparently, like I said, the birds, um, they like these seeds from a plant called a choke plant. And I have uh, apparently um, an infestation of them in my backyard. And uh, I understand that um, basically they grow, but the roots are like cement. And um, you can pull them out, but you can never get rid of them. And I heard a couple of wives' tales saying that to kill them, you pull, you pull what you can out, and then you could dump bleach and then some salt on top of them to Ooh. kill the roots. Yeah, no, 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 and that's devastating to the water supply and stuff. Yeah, that's what I figured. That's why I was wondering if you knew anything about it and if you can help me try to get rid of them. Okay, so the plant you're talking about, I'm presuming, is you, uh, it's the choke cherry. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also called the bird cherry. It's related to the wild cherry that actually exists. They get flavors from. Um, have you have you tried the fruits at all yourself? Have you? Oh, oh no, no, no! I was kind of scared because the, the fruits that I, I get on them they're not that large. Right. And they they sort of resemble a grape more than a cherry. Gotcha. You know. Gotcha. You know, uh, there yeah. are there are varieties that people deliberately grow. Uh, most of the fruits on these things are pretty sour, um, mm -hmm. but some people will still add enough sugar to make good jam out of them. But some uh -huh. varieties people really like. But mostly they are plants that are loved by birds that are grown for wildlife. Now it's it's not so much the root system that's your enemy here, is that these plants are known for what's called suckering and that they constantly send up shoots out of the ground so uh -huh. sometimes what you think are new plants might just be shoots from this underground root now what else is in the yard um you know how how, how much of the yard is covered with these plants 
Uh, well, the, the the plants are separated. Um, I have I have a section. It looked like well now suckering as you say it. One one area was suckering um, along my fence, um, which I don't mind. But then I have um, they're located north, south, east, and west in my in my garden in my backyard. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like basically all over, and I fear that um, they in in due time, but they'll infest my entire entire area and i would like to get rid of them for fear that they'll just take over my my garden yes if that's possible um well all things are possible with gardening i've found out (laughs) so uh here's the plan um i would wait until about two weeks before we're going to get a frost Uh and then i would cut down how tall are the main plants the main plants are about four feet high. That's that's about what I figured. So you want to, you know, have somebody come by with a chainsaw, use a bow saw, um, cut those down. Now the suckers, the shoots that come up, uh, there are people who feel strongly that cutting those, pruning them, um, uh, releases an enzyme, a pheromone, something that causes them to regrow rapidly. But that if uh-huh. you can... But if you can snap them off, then they don't have that urge to regrow. Um, So I would cut down the main plants. And the reason I want you to do it like two, three weeks before we get a frost is I want them to start regrowing and then be hit by a killer frost. Try to to really take that plant down. Um, Snap off as many of the other parts as you can. And then, obviously, you have two choices here. One choice would be to cover those areas um, with a heavy mulch, at least for a year, you know, to just kind of smother the roots under there. The other would be to be prepared next season with an iron-based herbicide. There are new herbicides out there. Um, One of them is called Iron X. Uh, but their their active ingredient is iron phosphate, uh, okay. which has the, this unique ability uh, to kill broadleaf plants, but it doesn't harm lawn grasses and it okay. do- doesn't harm anything in the environment. So if you do a good tear down this fall, and then in the spring you're going to see little shoots coming up. You can do uh, then you can just spray them while they're small with the iron-based herbicide is, and there's another trick that they're using out on the West Coast, I think, or is it up in the far North? Anyway, there's this very invasive plant. I think it's called Siberian Elm. And it was just growing all over the place and driving people crazy. And a lot of people did not want to use the recommended tactic of, of using Roundup or at least painting the emerging stalks with Roundup. And somebody figured out if you just nail a tin can over the, over the, the stump you leave behind or uh-huh. p- put a tin can over each new sprout that comes up, the plant dies. Huh. Now, now um, that can go for, like, just any size, like a coffee can or a vegetable can? Because aren't they aluminum now some days? Well, uh... I think there's still steel cans. I was thinking more of a Campbell soup can, the traditional okay. ca- Campbell soup style can, 
you know, okay. even a cat food can. It really seems to impede the growth. The plants are confused. They don't know how to deal with it. Um, and like I said, a good tear down. I would still be ready with the iron herbicide. You want to you want to be able to if you're going to spray, spray these things when they're really tiny. And then if you see one of the trees starting to regrow, nail a tin can over the stump. It seems to work very well. Good, good. Thank you so very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good luck to you. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye-bye. All right, it's time for the question of the week. Blue-winged wasps and deadly yellow jackets. Diane in Western Washington State writes, we used a weed eater in the backyard and what I thought were honeybees came flying up and hovering over the ground. There was no obvious opening or nest apparent. We have had yellow jackets before, but these look more like honeybees. Our dog was curious, but they didn't attack him. They were out buzzing around late last night after midnight and there are more out there today. Maybe small hornets, definitely not yellow jackets. Can't get close enough to look for a hole in the ground. Sprayed the area with wasp and hornet spray last night to no effect. They just kept flying around. What are they and how do I get rid of them safely? Well, first, honeybees do not nest in the ground. Escaped feral colonies will sometimes nest in the walls of a house or in a rotting tree, but never in the ground. Now, there are many types of native ground nesting bees, also known as digger bees. There are also ground nesting wasps. Ground nesting insects that look like bees are never a problem in the spring, as the vast majority of these native bees have no stingers and none of them are aggressive. But late summer and early fall are when yellow jacket nests become apparent and these have to be taken seriously. Like honeybees and ants, yellow jackets are social insects and a typical yellow jacket nest can contain 5,000 or more of the highly aggressive hornets. Yellow jackets like to sting you. Each wasp can sting you repeatedly. When they sting you, they inject you with a pheromone that encourages other yellow jackets to come in and pile on. And they bite. Now, as with our listener's story, many nests are discovered by somebody weed whacking or lawn mowing. I once stepped on a nest opening while pushing a wheelbarrow full of compost and was saved only because the compost covered the hole when I panicked and dropped the wheelbarrow. You see, compost really is good for everything, kids. But there are also a few beneficial ground nesting bees active in the late summer, early fall. And the kind of swarming that they're describing here sounds like the blue-winged wasp which can sting, all wasps and hornets have the ability to sting, but generally don't because they're very non-aggressive. I once walked through a swarm of several hundred at a community garden some years back, and boy, I got the willies, but I didn't get stung. If blue-winged wasps you do have, let them be. The females are digging into the earth to locate the grubs of Japanese and other scarab beetles, which they will lay their eggs inside of. Now, that's natural grub control. We move on to Jim in Coopersburg, PA, who writes, we have a yellow jacket nest by the side of the house. Bug spray didn't kill them. We're going to try hot soapy water tonight. Well, all we can hope for is that Jim is still among us. Bug spray is useless against these pests because of the design of their nests. It just rolls off. Same thing with water. All it does is make them mad. So if you're courageous like Jim, you should probably have some fresh papaya or a meat tenderizer made with papain handy to rub on all those stings. It denatures the venom. 
And finally, Henry and Ambler PA writes, nasty yellow jackets have made a nest in my potato bed. They stung me three times last night when I was out tending to it. Of course, I can't work there again unless I can eliminate the problem. Can I flood them with water? Is there any other remedy you have in your arsenal? I don't want to use toxic material because we'd like to eat the potatoes. Well, by now you should know that water and pesticides don't work. And since when will I ever recommend anything toxic? But that nest should be destroyed. Yellow jackets are responsible for dozens of so-called bee sting deaths every year. So first, go out on a cool evening and see if you can locate the hole. They're going to be going in and out of it. There should be a few guards around the entrance, but they'll be very sluggish at night. If you can locate that hole, just get a big glass bowl and have a helper with a can of non-stick cooking spray standing by. Again, on a cool evening, slowly approach the nest and put the bowl over the opening while your helper pams any attackers. That's it. They can't dig their way out and they won't reuse that nest. Now, if the area is complicated by multiple entrances or a crush of plants, get an old canister vacuum, install a fresh bag, make sure it is switched on but not plugged in, and with the aid of your PAMing protector, gently drop the hose nozzle near one of the holes in the bed and then run like hell. In the morning, plug the machine into an outdoor outlet that has a ground fault interrupter. The vacuum will then roar to life and the yellow jackets will fly to a sucking death one by one. It's fun to watch. Drag out a lawn chair and make a day out of it. After a couple of hours, things should slow down. After 20 minutes goes by without a sighting, carefully approach that hose end again with your PAM protector ready to spray. Seal the hose end with duct tape. Only then should you pull the plug on the machine. Apply more duct tape on the end of the hose, then let the machine sit out in the sun for a few days before you empty it out. Well, that sure was some good advice about deciding what's digging in your dirt, now wasn't it? Luckily, you can read these instructions over at your leisure or your leisure, because the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to provoke my yellow jackets. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location, and if you weren't able to follow all those letters, you'll find all that contact information, plus answers to your frequently asked garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and a link to our priceless podcast. It's all at YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast. All produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Harold and Nancy McGrath. 
Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page and congratulate her on her marriage. Tiara Waring Tavia Minnick is our associate producer of Production Association. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Our producer is Ima Not Here. Our occasional cameraman is Jeff Frederick. Zach the Tack Wisniewski is in the house. And if our beloved CEO Tim Fallon is in the house, he's late for a meeting and he's still not our executive producer. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I got to get out of here because I got tons of tomatoes to process and hot peppers to dry and turn into hot pepper shake. So I'm going to be nice and busy until I see you all again next week. Don't send me no zucchini, okay? No big zucchini. I don't want to get that big zucchini. Don't do that. boy where's the ball where's the ball <gasps> ready <gasps> go get it boy that's a good boy drop it <clears throat> drop it good boy good boy loyal partners throughout life you have many different partners shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life your health lehigh valley health network your health deserves a partner learn more at lvhn.org are there really plants the deer won't eat? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll name names and explain what makes one plant deer resistant and another the centerpiece of their salad bar. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.